Hey folks, this is Walker, one of the two hosts of Idio Talk. Just wanted to let you know that this week's episode is part two of one conversation that Zach and I had about the Radiohead album Amnesiac. This week, we're giving you the part of the convo where we break down the album song by song. But last week, we talked about the album's background and our various opinions about it and a lot of other stuff unrelated to Radiohead that was really fun and funny. So make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't already. It really puts this week's conversation in context. That's it. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you do that. Leave us a review, rate us, all that good stuff. And in the meantime, enjoy this week's episode of Idio Talk. So as we get into the tracks here, mm-hmm. uh, just talking about this opener. Now, last album, Kid A, uh, I, I went and threw a big claim out there and said I thought that was not only the best Radiohead album opener, mm-hmm. but maybe the best album opener of of any album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that this album opens with a similarly... Uh, with a similarly bold statement, mm-hmm. although I think in a very different vein mm-hmm. than the last album. So the first album track on Amnesiac is packed like sardines in a crushed tin box. Did I get that title right? That's right. All right. And it goes a little something like this. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. <laughs> Everything is fucked. Everybody sucks. You don't really know why, but you want to just... So, Rip it, stop Montana. <laughs> so very different. <laughs> um, well, no, we talked about, though, that Tom gets angry about the media and political landscape. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, listeners, obvi- okay. now I kind of just want to listen to this, though. Letting shit slip. Oh, you'll be living with a fat lip. God. And America fell in love. Gosh, and how dated is this song? Uh, nowadays, it'd be, you know, it's all about the he said, she said, they bullshit. Oh. <laughs> non-binary bullshit <laughs> but i'm not saying that's bullshit i'm yeah. just talking about people yeah i'm saying no matter your gender <laughs> i d- i don't i don't want to put up with it <laughs> <laughs> all right folks i'm sorry about that here we go no oh, god okay we got to get out of this we're in a second <laughs> chorus now all right fuck uh limp biscuit such a such a bad thing to hear when you're expecting to hear Radiohead, wouldn't you say? Totally. Yes, absolutely. So the first track off this album, it's not actually Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. Because <laughs> it would be weird if on a Radiohead album, if they were like, we're going to open this one with a Limp Bizkit song that hasn't <laughs> been released yet <laughs> at the time. But they instead open it with a Radiohead song. And I think that was a wise choice. Mm-hmm. I like it better. Uh, and it's called Packed, spelled P-A-C-K-T, Like Sardines as in the fish, Mm -hmm. that's not part of the title, (laughs) in a crushed tin box. Already starting different. Yeah, we're focused on the percussion. Um, You know, you were talking about everything in its right place, the album opener to Kid A. The focus is certainly on the the piano and synthesizer in that Mm -hmm. song. 
Um, so we have a companion piece, I believe, as far as openers go, but the focus is on the percussion and uh, we have two drum tracks going. Yeah, we have this pots and pans mm-hmm. track going that sounds to me like it is an acoustic instrument. Mm-hmm. And then we have what I'm guessing is probably a Johnny Greenwood sequenced drum track on the drum machine or synthesizer. Mm-hmm. Could have been any of them, but whenever it shows them like playing stuff live, yes. he always seems to be the one programming the electronic drums. When you can hear the bass just kind of sliding solitary note. So already we clearly have four members of the five-member band Radiohead <laughs> contributing, possibly a fifth. Yeah. I just do not know what uh, uh, what Ed would be doing. It doesn't mean he's not. I hear some feedback coming in. Yeah. So, Walker, you said pots and pans sort of drum track. Phil did actually uh, find this, this drum beat and this backbeat, um, which is, is something I, I do want to talk about a little bit more. Uh, by experimenting on a pot like a pot that you boil water in. Oh, okay. Um, and you well, listen to that. Let me turn it up. Oh, so just they faded w- it just out. Just stopped doing that. It, it took. It comes back. And then. Yeah, it's really this song. I mean, it's so simple with the non-percussive instruments. Mm-hmm. It's doing this. It's doing this melody that sounds like it's on on a synth. Now live, they kind of mm-hmm. beef this one up and play it with electric guitars, mm-hmm. and it's cool. I get why they do that. I, I this is one of the cases where I prefer the more restrained album version. Agreed. But I I think those live performances are so educational because you can see how a song may have been conceived by a band that was originally a guitar driven band mm-hmm. and then rendered down into something just, if not more as I would argue more interesting. Yeah. Um, but it is really cool to see the sort of two sides. Absolutely. It, it, it makes it more approachable. I, I don't really know how, even if I had the music in front of me, how I would play this song on a guitar rhythmically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and also like one thing that's great about go. radio. There we go. There's that pots and pans. It's so cool how that starts the song and then gets blended into all these other percussion mm-hmm. tracks that like take it over. And that, it, it, you know, um, splitting the beat and uh, throwing in additional a- additional beats, even though the time signature itself doesn't change, is something that happens across the front four of almost all of these tracks in one way or the other. They don't do it on the drums every on every track. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if I could just kind of talk about the percussion right here. So from, you know, listeners, start the song over, turn off our stupid voices. But from (laughs) second 15 to 26, uh, each snare attack, we'll just call the the striking of the pot sounding a snare, um, has been preceded by two kick drum attacks, right? And at second number 26, the snare drum attack is preceded by four kick drum attacks. So just to simplify that a little bit. Uh, the, the the kick drum would be your backbeat. And so our brains interpret this as an even number of eight notes leading up to the snare, right? And all that's been distributed by this four kick pattern is a half note grouping. So the primary beat, the quarter note remains unaffected. What does all that mean? I don't know. What it means, listeners, <laughs> is that a listener patting no their foot knows. can continue to do so uninterrupted dis- despite the changes in meter. 
So that's what's so cool that Radiohead do, particularly on this album, is you can find the beat. You can continue tapping your foot, just just like in uh, in songs that are in an unconventional um, type, like Morning Bell, for instance. Right, but what they do on this song is they just keep splitting that beat and adding like uh, a lot of times people might call them ghost notes or something like uh-huh. that. But your meter never changes, so mm-hmm. that's what that's what great songwriters do is they throw in something for the people that are really focused on all these interesting, really really weird micro examples. But you can still tap your foot to it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's I. I mean, and they somehow do this without ever it sounding too busy, which is cool. Which I Absolutely. think is another trick of that is really in the mixing. Because they, they keep adding these other drum tracks. Thank you, Nigel. But, right. Not everything goes through the whole song. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't ever cut off abruptly. He'll fade it into the background and fade in something else so seamlessly that you don't even notice until you've listened to it 100,000 times. Yeah. Well, uh, very well said. One other thing, too, that I, w- I know we talked about with everything in its right place. Um, we talked about the... Uh, you know, what is the tonal center? What key is that song in? Is it a minor key? Is it a, uh, this is not the case with Pact. Pact is in the key of D Dorian, which for uh, our skills and modes heads out there, um, D Dorian is the second uh, scale of C major. So you could say the song is in C major or D Dorian, right? But Dorian has a major f- or a minor flavor to it. And so d dorian is like uh otherwise related to like the d natural minor scale scale or d melodic minor scale but they differ in just one note all that to say everything in its right place was in c phrygian which is the 52nd most popular key amongst phrygian keys and phrygian is way low on the list so you have seven modes and then within that mode it's the least popular everything in its right place there is not another song on earth that i think sounds like it this song while still being a companion, it's in a major key, mm-hmm. or it has a minor flavor to it. Well, almost like a blues, like a blues riff, where, very or, much, so. or like a power chord song, very, very much so. And and I mean, just it, we're talking about tapping your foot. You know, it's intuitively an easier song to grasp. Very, very wise choice. I could see myself wanting to double down and going everything in its right place, part two, and it just wouldn't work, right? So mm-hmm. I think the way they pick the companion pieces are just. So brilliant. We don't have to do that with every song, comparing it to the other. But We don't have to. We get to. This song certainly bears that comparison, though. Sure. it's an album opener of this this new area of Radiohead. And uh, do you have anything you want to say in the lyrics, Walker? Uh, I, that's so funny that you... I just pulled them up because I do think that... Well, just to stay on music for a second. Oh, yeah, I please. do want to talk about the lyrics. Um, and I think that we're talking about this song to such an extra degree because it's, you know, we're setting the tape here with Mm -hmm. what the rest of the album is going to be. I think this is really an interesting opener choice because I think it is one of the less indicative songs Mm -hmm. of what the whole of this album sounds like. Interesting. Okay. Um, I don't, it's, it's now this is something that I don't know how I can articulate it. I just think it works. Uh, because I it, it does not sound <laughs> well articulated. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. I I don't I don't know why I didn't believe in myself. Um, <laughs> you got this, brother. Yeah, thanks. I I know how to use words uh, <laughs> to convey ideas about Radiohead. <laughs> in español. Um, it, it's it's not out of place. Totally. But it this album is it has these more electronic focused tracks, but I would say it's less electronically focused than. Kid A, mm-hmm. as we will hear and as we discussed in the background of the album. So I, I think it's kind of interesting to open with this one that is so 
this song is so compressed, and I don't mean that in the sense of uh, the way it's used uh, in music studios or mm-hmm. on the mixing board. I just mean that it's like there's these like really tight electronic drum sounds. Yeah. There's the melody on the synth. Mm-hmm. There's a couple little guitar noises. There's one vocal track, basically, that's kind of like coldly auto-tuned. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a weird, antiseptic, kind mm-hmm. of like small, tense-sounding little song. Mm-hmm. Kind of a mean-sounding little song, mm-hmm. you know? And from here, as we'll see, I just think the album really, really opens up a lot. And so I think it's kind of a bold and cool choice to put this thing at the front that I do think kind of makes you go, oh, okay, Kid A Part 2 a little bit. Yes, very much so. And then as we'll get into the next song, I think is very much not Kid A Part 2. Sure, sure. But I mean, I remember that that I was hooked, though, when I when I the first time I was listening to this album, I remember, like I said, it, expectations were low, you know, bad on me, but whatever. But I mean, it is a great song. And and I don't honestly remember how much everything in its right place, like where that landed in the, you know, in my top 10 or whatever at that time. I know I'd heard Kid A first, but I mean, just as an album opener, you know, um, it's I, it's a great song and it really hooks. I, I hadn't thought of it in the context that you just said, though, that it, it's not as much. It's maybe not as indicative of what the rest of the album sounds like. Um, but that's a, that's a, a really interesting way to think about it. I had not thought of it before that way. Yeah. I mean, um, do you agree? I do. Yeah. Um, but, but yet I wouldn't <clears throat> change. It's not a note where I'm like, and I think they should have put something. It, it, it's a great opener. I think it's a really great opener too, because of how sparse it is mm-hmm. and that it just starts with those drums and that you're tapping your foot to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, a it's, it's, it's an interesting choice. Yeah, and I think and it's also I should say I feel like I haven't said I love this song. It is one of my favorite songs on the album. Totally, it's totally, such a great song. Absolutely, the the garbling of the voice um, is is definitely uh, I wouldn't even say a callback, but is reminiscent of everything in its right place. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, when you dissect the songs, and we're not going to go through the level of detail that I just did with backbeat and all that necessarily on every song. I think these first two certainly bear trying to break them open as much as we can to satisfy. Radiohead fans that like technical detail and I think we owe it to all of Radiohead to talk about those on these first two um but what's so interesting is that like the auto-tune effect and sort of just that low bass and and synth uh you go oh okay that's like everything in its right place but as we just talked about from a a key and um and a a beat perspective it's actually quite simple Mm -hmm. so that's all I got on this song uh, we'll just talk about the lyrics real quick because oh, yeah. I think that this song, as far as a mission statement of an opener, it's very, very much in line with the songwriting approach that is on this album and on Kid A, where Tom has all these like scraps of lyrics and ideas and they're uh, being chosen and then kind of placed where he can apply them i don't think that his approach as we discussed last time was to sit down and write whole songs he's got kind of all Mm -hmm. these stanzas floating around and he's putting them in (laughs) the right place and uh nice and thank you um in this one like the song yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh the lyrics to this song uh, are uh, just basically a couple sentences repeated uh with slight variations it's after years of waiting nothing came as your life flashed before your eyes you realize i'm a reasonable man get off get off my case 
and then just more uh, oh the only other lyric that is uh after years of waiting nothing came and you realize you're looking in looking in the wrong place my favorite part of the, the song when he really sings that part yeah you know what walker this song reminds me of what you were talking about uh maybe it was even going back to our first episode but how tom york uh very similar to like someone like david byrne or um beach boys help me out uh, brian wilson brian wilson uh, i think that was a really excellent comparison um but, you know, even as we get into what is uh, arguably, you know, their most complex inspired era, that style sort of still persists. And I think actually songs from the Benz and from Pablo Honey probably have more words in them. Um, but you sort of compare that to the uh, sophistication of the band and the, li- the songs themselves lyrically are getting shorter and shorter. It's a very interesting parallel. What this song reminds me of again, as a companion to Kid A, is maybe a little bit more scaled down and focused. We're not talking so broadly about... Uh, 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 gov- it, just in the song alone, what it reminds me of is waiting in line at the grocery store. And you know you have three people in front of you. You don't really have to be anywhere. Nobody's really going that slow. Um, I can only speak for myself. Sometimes those are the most... Zach, calm down. It's okay. Moments ever, you know, or you're just getting patient. Mm-hmm. You have to remind yourself, I'm a reasonable man or whatever. The person behind you, though, you want to look at them, get off my case, even though they're just standing there. It doesn't have to be the grocery store. Any mundane activity where you have to function in society mm-hmm. and be tolerant and courteous and, you know, and then fortunately, you're not the asshole that, you know, makes a big scene or whatever. And you go, oh, well, thank goodness that I'm rational or whatever. Yeah. But your inner monologue might be quite irrational. And and I'm being very uh, very um, uh, vulnerable by admitting this, but I, th- I think a lot of folks could probably relate. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, um, I that's really interesting to hear because uh, that is it's clearly good songwriting because we both picture different versions of the same thing. Okay. I I thought I mean the title is helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like it, it, it's such a right. um, harsh title for something as kind of dreamy sounding as after years of waiting, nothing came. And then mm-hmm. the song is called packed like sardines in a crushed in box. Mm-hmm. I pictured you're on the subway going to work yes. and because you're going to work, you're already in a bad mood, but your inner monologue is like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. We all don't want to be here. Right. We all don't want to be here. So why the fuck are you doing this thing that is inconveniencing me personally? Mm-hmm. I'm, I am, holding up my end of the society. I am contract. a reasonable man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I think that's, that's really, really good songwriting that yeah. it puts the listener so much in the mind of the narrator. Yeah. Good job, Radiohead. Yeah. All right. Well, that was amnesiac and think, <laughs> no, just kidding. That was just the first song listeners. Um, this next one, I say we want to let it breathe for a minute, and then I have questions for you. Track two on this album, one that I think is more um, indicative of what the kind of the feel of the majority of this album will be. This is Pyramid Song.
I feel like uh, maybe we should start talking a little bit, but there is a part coming up that I want to draw attention to when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listeners, we're still here. Um, I, I would like to let it breathe just for a, a little bit longer. Is that okay. okay? Listeners, we are still here. We, we are just still want to here. let you know. Listen to Tom, listeners. It's like jazz, Walker. It's like jazz. So, listeners, <laughs> that song makes you wait for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Before it kicks in there I think very worth the wait Mm -hmm. I think Tom's voice We listened to two minutes of it We listened to two minutes of that song Wow, two minutes of paradise Uh, Just a couple quick observations I think Tom's voice sounds the best That it has ever sounded I absolutely adore What is happening here In the orchestral section Conducted by Johnny Greenwood Where the strings are mimicking Tom's vocal part right there. So it's doing another echo Mm -hmm. of what he was doing with the ooh-ooh-oohs. They do this also in everything in its right place. I'm pretty curious, and maybe when I kick it over to you, maybe you have insight into this, maybe you Mm -hmm. don't. I wonder if Tom wrote the melody and then Johnny composes around it, or if, if they had this music and Johnny wrote this part for the orchestra and Tom uh, composes his vocal melody around it. Do you have any insight into that? I, I do. Yeah. So, uh, so, um, oh God, I'm looking for it in my notes because it's a little bit further ahead, but uh, Tom recorded this in the Copenhagen um, sessions. Uh, guys, when they recorded folks, when they recorded Amnesiac and Kid A, uh, they did not do all of it in one location, but they did do it all in the same session. So they bounced around between different locations. Tom, this was recorded in January of 1999, piano and vocals. And Johnny did not add his string arrangement until almost or over a year later. Okay. In March of 2000. When he was, Which well, you can hear those strings in the background. Take a guess right what song, what song from Kid A he was recording his orchestral uh, strings for? How to disappear completely? Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, Tom didn't lay this down again. This was a very. Um, oh, I should note Phil also didn't add these flourishes. Um, not not as much later as Greenwood's part, uh, but <clears throat> um, it was not a. a the whole groups in the studio this song walker as as amazing as it is and, and i do have a lot to go through i do want to hear your questions though um was what broke the ice so to speak um for, okay. for tom and his writer's block and getting things so this is the, f- the second song from amnesiac this was recorded before almost everything else on both kid a and this album i did not know that mm-hmm. that's Can really you imagine that you have writer's block and then you sit down and write pyramid song that's fucking crazy <laughs> i mean um, yeah. Do, do you love this song? Um, I do love this song. Um, 
you know, it's it's a grower for sure. It really is. I don't know that this this is one that has sneakily become one of my favorite Radiohead songs mm-hmm. as the years progress. Interesting. This is one um, that uh, jumped out to me. Um, you know, just like I said, Pax. Uh, not every song jumped out to me though. Upon my initial listen, as we'll we'll go through to to hear packed like sardines when I had low expectations for an album, and then Pyramid Song when I listened to this album, um, sitting in my car while it was raining, uh, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. Now, then in the subsequent years, I always knew this was a great song. I really short-shrifted this, this period of Radiohead, and that doesn't mean that I wouldn't listen to it or whatever. It just wouldn't be my go-to. Mm-hmm. And going back to it you know, throughout this project and, and over, like I have over the last few years, um, you know, we've mentioned several times Brad Osborne's book, Everything in Earth's Right Place. Um, this, uh, it, there's a whole chapter devoted to this song. Okay. Um, so, a uh, direct quote right here, no other song in perhaps, uh, Radiohead's entire catalog has generated as much speculation. Um, and, uh, you know, I, w- I wanted to talk about some of the possible prevalent theories, but I, I do know you had some questions. Would you like to get those in first? Um, well, uh, let's see. I mean, uh, my my question really was what the hell is going on time signature wise? Okay, okay. Because this is another one of those songs that I think is mm-hmm. a lot simpler than it sounds in terms of its meter. But uh, it's it's very odd to me. I mean, just we, we won't replay, but just to hear what he's mm-hmm. playing on the piano here. So that sounds like an extra mm-hmm. beat. Mm-hmm. But then when the drums come in, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's counting to four. Mm-hmm. So, so what's going So what's going on? Can you tell me yeah, what, so what they're I, doing we, here? We could just pull out a little bit on the rhythm um, because it, it just kind of builds to that. So and the theories about this song do involve the rhythm. Um, but initially, and this goes from 2001, the year of the release of the song, till 2013, uh, when Tom York gave a specific interview explaining the song, I'm not sure if that was on Marin or on NPR, but uh, regardless, um, in that 12 year span, uh, one of the theories was that this song was inspired by jazz musician Charles Mingus. Um, he's known as the Angry Man of Jazz. Uh, he was prone to outbursts and violence, uh, but a prolific jazz musician, um, but a very unstable genius. Um, and then the other prevailing theory was uh, so not like Trump. No, no, nothing, nothing like that. Who was a, who was famously <laughs> called himself a stable genius? Oh my god! Sorry, do you remember that? No. <laughs> oh, he tweeted, "I am a very stable genius." At one point, oh so <laughs> please continue. I actually have Ooh. also, just so you know, I have the Mingus song that it was inspired by pulled up on here. Oh, excellent! I read okay, about that a little bit too. Sure, sure. I mean, um, we, we'll we, just play it in the background. Yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, it's, it's this is called "Freedom" by Charles Mingus and. Uh, it was very interesting to hear be- uh, because you kind of, well, you'll hear it, but you're kind of like, oh, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. It also couldn't be more different than Radiohead's Pyramid Song, but it's, uh... but p- please feel free to speak. I'll just let this play in the background. No, yeah, no problem. Um, so the the other prevailing theory um, was regarding the lyrics um, that uh, it's it's basically pulling from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So... The next thing Mr. Osborne talks about in his book is why is there so much speculation? Is it the repeated chord progressions? Is it the lyrical declamations? Um, it is interesting compared to Pact, right? Um, we have a stripped down instrumentation through voice, piano, and then the drums. Um, and uh, 
that is something that they do very nicely on this album is that you'll get a digitize a track with some level of digital trickery, right? Mm-hmm. And then you'll immediately shift to something that is maybe more traditional instrumentation. Certainly the case with these two tracks. Um, so just to recap again, the four main theories are the Tibetan slash Egyptian books of the dead, Charles Mingus's song that we're listening to right now, Freedom, um, a complicated intertextual link between uh, the song Freedom, clapping song by Shirley Ellis, and then Tom Waits' clap hands. I don't know if you've hmm. listened to the, the, the no. Tom Waits song. Um, and uh, I- Egyptian funeral rites. So in the year 2013, Tom York gave an unusually candid interview um, in which he sort of dispelled a lot of the mystery. And do, do you mind if I just read that quote? No, please. So... <clears throat> I'm not going to do Tom's voice, um, but just imagine we're in Copenhagen. Yeah. Oh, so you are going to do it. (laughs) We were in Copenhagen. We just started recording the first session after OK Computer, and we were all deeply dysfunctional, especially me. And there was an exhibition. They had a whole Egyptian section where they went on about religious beliefs and stuff. And they had these figures in these little boats ready to go wherever it is they were going to go. We were having a really shitty session, but we got in the morning afterwards, we got in the morning afterwards, sat down, played these chords, and I just said, hey, that's nice, made a note of it, and then wrote words, and it was very quick. We recorded the drumming a few months later, and it Mm. sounded like something from a Charles Mingus record. It was just one of those weird things of when you make a record, especially you get to a flow, and that was just part of the flow. We were going through this bad period where nothing was going right, and this was a big breakthrough. But I never expected it to be such a popular single. When we play it live, people go nuts for it. And listeners, I can't attest to that. Um, I, I, as we've covered, I've not seen Radiohead live. Walker has. I don't know if they played this song when he saw them. Uh, but it is a fan favorite um, to pass away to, as we covered in our yeah, yeah. And also to be played live. They do not really uh, change anything about the recording. from what, Or, I'm sorry, about the way they play it relative to the recording. Um, that's the end of his quote. He said, people go nuts for it. And we're like, really? Yeah? Um, <laughs> so the band has a little bit of surprise from it. Um, and then going back to your question, uh, what Tom is referring to there is that in March, 1999, the band recorded this, um, and Johnny Greenwood's string arrangements on this song were recorded a, a full year later, um, by the orchestra at St. John's, um, in the same sessions for how to disappear completely and for dollars and cents. Um, now we can shift to the rhythm unless you have anything you wanted to add on that. No, but you know what? It is interesting that you mentioned that it's like such an unusual and surprising single. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing we didn't cover in the background of this album is that I think we did say in Kid A, they did not release any singles for that album. Mm -hmm. Very bold, uh, non-commercial move. With Amnesiac, they did release singles. Mm -hmm. And those singles were this Pyramid song and a song that we haven't listened to yet called Knives Out. Mm -hmm. And I do think that Pyramid song as a first single... What a wild choice! I love it. Yeah, um, but I'm that, really I mean, this is a this is a really, I think, like heartbreaking sounding yeah. song. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too because I I should have mentioned the music video is one of the things that sort of fed into the the speculation. Now I realized the quote I just said didn't didn't explain a the part about the rhythm and b doesn't explain everything. It, it's that thing that we've spoken about before, though, where uh, greatly inspired artists can be very pompous, like James Cameron, or they can be a little bit demystifying, like Bob Dylan and like Tom York a little bit in this case, in mm-hmm. that, you know, it would be so easy for any individual to imbue um, some whack, you know, an angel came down and gave me this song mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, but it's very humanizing. Um now on the rhythm, since I think that's that's yeah, hit me with so, it. So okay, 
Um, so again, quoting Mr. Osborne, no other aspect of the song is more contentious, which I find to be funny that it's contentious. <laughs> Radiohead <laughs> fans will tear each other apart over this. Yeah, yeah. And, and listeners, uh, again, th- th- this has to be done for this song. Um, so most commentators focus on the rhythms, palindromic aspects. We'll define that in a second. Yet some go further to speculate on potential meter signatures, the role of swing. I think that that's absolutely something you hear. <laughs> and the drum set's role in either reinforcing or distracting from these structures. I think that's brilliantly said. And then he talks about how he's going to approach it. That's so, But that's what it is, right? Is mm-hmm. the drums are playing in swing. Yes. Okay. So we might lose a couple people in this part, but uh, just stick with us. Um, so... The heading of this section is called Mod 16 Palindrome. Um, So here's, I'm going to read this and then we'll kind of break it down. So though the rhythmic and melodic motifs transcribed, and then he has a picture, listeners, of of what looks like a pyramid below um, in this figure, and each 32 pulses long, the rhythm itself is only 16 pulses long. When those 16 pulses are divided by the five attack points, we are left with the maximally even distribution parentheses three three four three three the geometry of a pyramid right five sides four of which have three vertices and one which has four it's hard to miss and then there's a digital rendering of this so i would really 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 encourage people to jump online and uh to to try and uh, put a visual aspect to what i'm going through right here um, then he goes on to say, what makes this rhythm so captivating is the ironic tension between its palindromic nature and the maximum individualization of its component beats though it is symmetrical each beat is unique to understand these and other peculiar mathematical properties of the pyramid song rhythm we have to understand its archetype and then he talks about other different examples of this in cuban music so i'm going to go ahead and stop there because i think that was probably a little bit difficult to sort of apply an imagery to but i want to back up and and say uh, just kind of how he means palindrome so I, I had to do a little bit of extra reading to even try and understand that myself so palindrome um something like race car or um uh something that boob for <laughs> thank you boob dad um so Listeners, when, isn't it great that that's the first time I've spoken in like a full minute to say something that <laughs> dumb while Zach is saying something this smart? <laughs> I really appreciate it uh, because I, I maybe should have had more palindromes. Uh, Mom! Um, so I was talking about the maximally even distribution and I said parentheses three, three, four, three, three. That's a palindrome as well. So a palindrome can be numerical or right. it can be uh, alphanumerical, right? Mm-hmm. So that is to say you have an extra beat in there, right? And and this goes kind of back to what we were saying with Packed Like Sardines, although a lot more complex and a lot more to break open. You could still tap your foot to this song. You could still sing along. There is something so uh, rhythmically complex to where if you map this song out digitally on a, on a, a, a computer of sorts, it will create a pyramid. And mm. the mystery that still endures is, um, was this intentional? Uh, was it collaborative? Did Johnny Greenwood maybe notice that he could somehow enhance the way Tom York was singing over it to find it? That's kind of like what I like to imagine is that Tom wait, York. Wait, wait, <clears throat> but I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but it has to be intentional, right? Because it was each part was recorded separately a year apart. Is is it not rhythmically a pyramid until correct the full the full arrangement comes correct. into place so what tom york is playing on the piano does not rhythmically create a pyramid no. it's all of it working in tandem that makes a pyramid yes and no i mean what tom york is playing on the piano in terms of time signature 
uh does have the uh three three four three three um sorry i'm sorry three 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 four three 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 um okay but that isn't listeners i'm backing up three three four three three um, that isn't something though that would be so unusual for somebody just sitting down at a piano to maybe come to. So it it is what you said, in that all of the instruments and individuals that contribute to the song working together make it what it is. And what I like to imagine, hmm. because Tom York, um, you know, doesn't read and write in standard notation. You can obviously play the fuck out of a piano and a guitar and a bass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Johnny Greenwood, though, is maybe uh, that extra layer of, of genius, as we've spoken about. Uh-huh. And and I think now it's time to add a third member to that um, in Phil. Uh-huh. Because Phil's Phil's, um, you know, the w- he picks his spots so beautifully um, and uh, is what makes it what it is. And <clears throat> you know, it's just it's just that thing that we've talked about with other Radiohead songs. Um, how much of it is conscious word painting, for instance, in Paranoid Android or in Electioneering, the way Johnny's playing the scale up and down. Um, you know, sometimes it's like that had to be planned. Other times, I think there's a confluence of events that makes something so singularly brilliant. And I think it's a little bit of both in this case. Okay. That's really, really interesting. Uh, a lot of it is over my head, but I appreciate us getting to like a, a sort of uh, d- broken down version of it that I can kind of understand what you're saying. I, I wish, I wish that I, I can't be contentious about this because I'm too dumb. Oh, Walker, <laughs> come on. Um, and, and, uh, as the editor, I, I fully trust in, in keeping or, uh, or, you know, scaling down what we just went through. I do want to, again, credit where credit is due. Brad Osborne in his book, everything that's the right place has an entire chapter devoted to this. And uh, I think he does a very good job breaking it down for somebody that maybe has an interest in music and in these theoretical concepts, um, you know, far better than we can explain on this podcast. But those were the moments that I chose to highlight um, as maybe the most interesting for a, a larger audience. And I, that does not then mean that I, it all makes sense and clicks at any moment for me either. No, I mean, I think absolutely it's it needs to stay. We want, I mean, this podcast is about having a variety of mm-hmm. approaches, approaches to Radiohead's music. And some of it's going to be a little more technical. Mm-hmm. And... I also, I do want to kind of disclose to our listeners at this time, normally this podcast is a improvised and unscripted mm-hmm. conversation. We make some notes. We know mm-hmm. the album we're going to talk about, et cetera. There's, there's guideposts. This is the first episode that has been tightly scripted because we are... And even that pause there, right there, where it sounded like I didn't know what I wanted to say and I interrupted myself because I ran out of steam in the middle of a sentence. It's all scripted because if you actually lay out a digital rendering of this episode, it also makes a pyramid. Oh, I was I was miming a dick. Oh, yes. <laughs> it makes it's, a giant penis. Well, it's a pyramid of dicks. <laughs> and again, Absolutely. that part where Zach... Where Zach said it seemed like mm-hmm. Zach was thinking something else and we missed each other mm-hmm. and then we kind of landed in the all scripted mm-hmm. all Absolutely. tightly scripted um i i i hate to bash on this point mm-hmm. this is a song Zach mm. where it's so clear what each person is doing except the handsome man you know walker do you know what he's doing on this song because I oh look, instrumentation I, wise, I want to stick up for Ed here, but there's not real. There's there's Tom on piano. Uh-huh. Phil is playing drums. There is a bass line that comes in when the drums come in. Mm-hmm. In fact, I bet it's probably a stand up bass. If I had to guess, 
It's very minimal, but it's it's essential to the song. Uh, but it sounds like maybe a fretless bass to yes, me in this song. Yes, I, I would agree. Uh, again, making this song kind of the doppelganger of of How to Disappear Completely, mm-hmm. not just the orchestral section, but also mm-hmm. the arrangement within the band. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is Ed doing? You know, I'm what not... What is sh- the handsome man doing other than standing there and saying, good job, mates? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I do... Um, We're never going to get him on this podcast with how much shit we've talked, are we? <laughs> I, well, we've talked a lot about his looks in a positive way, I'll say that much. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that makes him feel great. So, <laughs> um, on uh, within the book that I was quoting directly, Ed does get one footnote to a footnote. Um. This song is what guitarist Ed O'Brien once called the best song we've ever recorded. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. The best song we've ever recorded. Yeah. The guy on the group project who does nothing but, you know, puts the clear plastic binder on the assignment and goes, oh, look. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of a hollow pause after I said that, because what else can you say? Even somebody that has written a doctoral thesis on Radiohead the only thing he could find uh, regarding Ed O'Brien in this song was a song Ed O'Brien once called the best song we've ever recorded. No so- follow-up. Right. <laughs> a song Ed O'Brien called good and added, I was there for. <laughs> I think I was taking a shit that day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So next song on Amnesiac, uh, real departure from what we just heard. This is called Polk slash Pole Revolving Doors. Now, I'm going to talk more kind of mm-hmm. from the beginning on this one. This is, listeners can hear, this is a electronic piece, um, kind of a Radiohead techno, and then we'll hear there's some auto-tune mm-hmm. spoken word going on. A lot mm-hmm. a lot of talking about doors in mm-hmm. this song. Now, I think this song... There we go. I wanted to let, get a, yes. one clean. I think this song has an obvious companion mm-hmm. from Kid A, which would be the title track of Kid A. Mm-hmm. Which um, we are now talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> was Kid A amazing or whatever your name was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, how everything falls into its right place. Um, yeah, now, this I agree. Is, this is where I was thinking about on the way up here about not wanting to give Amnesiac short shrift by totally. constantly comparing it to Kid A. Mm-hmm. But it, but I just think there are very obvious um, kind of echoes where I, I can't help but think, do I like the Kid A version of mm-hmm. this song? And by this song, I mean this type of song, right? Yes. So Radiohead, I think, sequenced these albums in a way where they intentionally have these callbacks. Mm-hmm. And so if Pole Revolving Doors is the Kid A of Amnesiac, then mm-hmm. Pyramid Song is the How to Disappear Completely Mm-hmm. There's other ones coming up later that sure. I won't get into now. But when I listen to Amnesiac, that's what I kind of go, oh, do I like this or the Kid A version of sure. this song better? Um, now, this one, I'm going to have to say I prefer the song Kid A I, I do to, well. to this song. I still think it's cool, and I still think it's very well-placed in this album. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of my general thoughts about this song. What, mm-hmm. what about you? I mean, I, Or any I, interesting trivia or anything you want to no, say No, no, totally. I, I definitely agree with... Uh, Comparing it to to uh, its companion on Kid A, which would be the title track, um, I think to what you said, I think this album um, as well as Kid A is perfectly sequenced. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think this album, it's it's very intentional in that the um, placement after Pyramid song is so smart because the deformation of the voice gives an immediate meaning to the um, to the distorted voice, which like establishes a link between doors that the narrator might be going through is sort of how I imagine it, right? Like mm-hmm. the last line of the song, and you do have to look up the lyrics, it's, it's hard to, to hear, but the last line of the song is, and there are trap doors that you can come back from, which I think implies the protagonist has gone through a trap door to a place they can't return from. Maybe mm-hmm. technologically, you know, maybe like I'm picturing like into the spider verse, you know, when you enter this like other dimension or something like that, which is a theme all throughout Amnesiac, like the implementation of technology while simultaneously resenting it um, is, is, is one of the ideas I got of it. And the, the voice alteration via autotune gives a larger meaning to the dehumanization of the, the narration, which seems to be emanated by a robot, right? That's mm-hmm. what it sounds like. Um, and the melodies are really restricted. Um, which I think kind of just goes to that line, which strips them of any human features, mm-hmm. which again, after Pyramid Song is such a wise choice. I'm not saying that this song is therefore so fun to listen to and rock out to, and it's the, but if you, if you choose to examine it at that level, I'm not saying everything I just said is correct. I really, really think it shows what the broader message of Amnesiac might be. Can't get inside their heads, but that's sort of what I got out of it. I really like that, and I think that it really shows, like, thematically how mm-hmm. just there's no wasted space on this record. Mm-hmm. And I think that Kid A, to put it in really broad terms, I think Kid A might be the record where you're in the fog of depression mm-hmm. and in the fog of kind of the anxiety of, like, this modern world, the mm-hmm. fog of war a little bit, you know, to kind of, like, mm-hmm. hone in on some of the... Po- oh, okay, I'm going to speaking of the political themes Mm -hmm. of these two records. Um, And then Amnesiac is kind of like emerging Mm -hmm. from underground Mm -hmm. and trying to see, well, what is, what is left of this post Mm -hmm. post apocalyptic landscape? You know, what am I looking at now? Your, your head is cleared a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's a different world, but now you're kind of making your way through it. Mm -hmm. And, did I pull that out of my ass a little bit, but it's also what Tom York himself mm-hmm. said about amnesiac. And this is a quote that you just reminded me of with the trap doors. He mm-hmm. says, amnesiac may have been recorded at the same time as kid a, but it comes from a different place. It sounds like finding an old chest in someone's attic with all these notes and maps and drawings and mm-hmm. descriptions of going to a place you cannot remember. Mm-hmm. And, so I just think, yeah, it just ties very well into that theme with him talking about, you know, all these trap doors that you can make your way in and out of. A hundred percent. And and I think this is as good a time as any to mention it. Maybe we should mention it up top. Another thing uh, I'm paraphrasing that Thomas said regarding the artwork of this album is that the artwork on the front of Kid A is is of a, 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 a an Arctic, maybe barren wasteland, and it's implied we talked about the climate change possible climate catastrophe implications with that really red sun. Mm-hmm. Tom has said that the cover of amnesiac is you are in the fire, which I think dovetails really nicely with the, the and describe the cover. People can look it up, but get, Oh, for sure. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's very artistically brilliant, but it is very simple. It's, um, I would say about two thirds of what looks like a, a red sort of textile fabric background. And then drawn onto it is, uh, I can't remember the name of this, this particular character. I think the it, crying minotaur crying minotaur. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I've, 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 uh, drawn this many times. It's one of the simpler Stanley Donwood characters. 
And um, yeah, crying, very obvious tears. Um, it's in a very cartoonish style. And then there are very precise uh, geometric shapes sort of surrounding the character. Um, but to what we were just talking about, the, the red textile does resemble, it is certainly not uh, blood red. It, is, it has tinges of orange in it, which I think gives a little bit of credibility to the idea that you're in the fire. And, and going back to what you were saying, Walker, um, I know we're both pulling from what Tom said or band members said, but I think those just overlap really nicely. To the extent where there you have the band saying, these are related. Here's the continuation. Amnesiac is a continuation of Kid A mm-hmm. in the artwork. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, too, like the tears, like, okay, I, it's like I maybe just said, not I maybe, I just said, uh, Kid A sounds like a little bit more of being in the fog of depression and amnesiac sounds like beginning to be able to emerge out from that and get your bearings. And then the cover has this character crying, which may sound like depression, but I don't think so because I think depression and kind of the depression that is being explored on Kid A is almost the absence of feeling. I'm not here. This isn't happening. And then on this one, it's like you're feeling your feelings again. There's sadness. There's tears. There's there's moments of joy. There's moments of anger. I'm not saying those things are not present on Kid A too. It's an album that is full of feeling. But I just mm-hmm. think that it's honing in more precisely on different aspects of you know the cycle of depression that yes. Tom York was feeling in post OK Computer. And and uh, folks have theorized that the album title Kid A is a reference to uh, what the first human clone is called, which is Kid A. So if that's the case, right or wrong, Amnesiac uh, as a companion to the first clone, uh, it, or growing up, having your eyes open to the horrors of the world, again, I think, to, to overuse the word dovetails, very nicely with what you just said. That, that's, that's a feeling I get from this whole album, is just like, your eyes are opened and you're learning to just function in the bullshit minutia that is living in society. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not filled with rage or hate, you know, well, certainly not, but you still have these feelings. Just, fuck. I got to do it again. Right. Uh, anyways, that's all. I but got. also, but right. It's a feeling of fuck. I got to do it again, but also I'm going to get through that. It sounds like it's like you've kind of like my eyes are open. Mm-hmm. I see how stupid everything is. Right. <laughs> and how pointless everything is. But I'm embracing that a mm-hmm. little bit, mm-hmm. which I feel like is kind of always the feeling you get coming out of a depression. Mm-hmm. It's usually not like, oh, my God, I realized how hopeful I am about everything. It's like sure. I realize that even though I'm not particularly hopeful, I still want to be alive. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think we just had our how to disappear completely moment where you blew my mind. Oh, if we're talking about companion pieces. <laughs> Uh, you know, that happened in How to Disappear Completely. And uh, I would say the way you just sort of broke down those two things, uh, you know. And that's not to say that it can't be beaten, you know. <laughs> we're only on track four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One day we're gonna one day we're gonna talk about track four too. Uh, thank you. What a lovely thing to say. I appreciate sure. having some insight about something because uh, when it comes to songs that make a pyramid shape, Mm-hmm. Zach, it's just not my forte. <laughs> when it comes to ways that a person can express feeling sad, well, Walker's got you covered. <laughs> now, this next song um, that we're going to play, we're going to talk about it in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a little teaser here and say 
Uh, is this my favorite song on this album? The answer that I will give at the end may surprise you. This is You and Whose Army. Come on. Come on. You think you drive me crazy. Now this song um, is one that takes a long time to fully kick into gear. So we're going to just talk about it while it's playing. Mm-hmm. Now, this one I read a little bit about last night. This is another one that was, uh, or maybe not another one. This is another one that has a very full band feel. Right now, you might be saying, Walker, all I hear is a vocal and a guitar. Um, well, just wait, listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. The other boys are, are going to step in and, and pull their weight before too long. This is You and Whose Army. Mm-hmm. This is, I would say, the most overtly political song on the album um it's directed from the point of view of a uh, totalitarian sounding power saying mm-hmm. do you think you can take us on you know you if so you and whose army mm-hmm. uh comparing said power to the holy roman empire mm-hmm. empire you know pretty clearly putting the the west uh, mm-hmm. military industrial complex mm-hmm. in its sights this is as the war on terror. Mm-hmm. The drums are starting to beat for it, and Radiohead mm-hmm. isn't having it. They're they're seeing it and saying. Uh, but remember, remember, listeners, this came out May thirtieth, two thousand one. Yes, that's three so- months in advance of uh, what it what was a, uh, a, a tragic event that incited a war. And I, I know you know that Walker, but it, it is so interesting to, to just remember that. I know it is because it, it, it politically it's such a war on terror. But you know, it just shows Radiohead is like ahead of the zeitgeist. Yes, and this is here we go. Kicks in. Now, it was the handsome man that I read said they they pretty much got in a in a studio and mm-hmm. recorded this live. Mm-hmm. Um, the effect on Tom's vocals, really cool kind of whispery mm-hmm. telephony effect mm-hmm. came from them putting uh, egg cartons over the microphone. Mm-hmm. So they're doing analog stuff in the studio to and to you know give well, it this kind of sound. And, and, and if you think about it in comparison with the title, You and Whose Army... So, you know, the Holy Roman Empire had an army. Um, the army I think of, though, is the uh, United States Army during World War II era, just because of the vocal affectation. Mm. Um, sort of that muffle. You could almost picture it through, um, what was an early record player called? Um, uh, the, a phonograph. You could almost hear a phonograph mm-hmm. effect. and Especially you know, on those backing vocals. Yeah, and just in that intro of the, come on, the way it sounds almost muffled, you could almost hear the pops and cracks as if you're listening to it on vinyl. And and I think we kind of focused on the same thing. So I think, again, going back to that that uh, counterpoint of the, whatever previous song, you know, Tom York in particular, I think, establishes an immediate contradiction of the voice alteration heard in the previous two songs, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very, very human. So a counterpoint is immediately established within the first two seconds of what is clearly human breath. I, I think it's an inhale. <sighs> Right. Um, I yeah. Guess maybe it could be an exhale, but it sounds like an, inter- an inhale. And, uh, you know, other examples of songs, I, I really had to kind of rack my brain for this that have done this is uh, Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah, The Beatles and Taxman. One, two, three, four. Uh, Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here and Pink Floyd, Mother. 
Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's just interesting to think of other songs in popular music that have done that. And it's also interesting because we've talked about Pink Floyd quite a bit on this podcast. And where I, I know the song Lucky, we found like, oh, this sounds like Radiohead by way of Pink Floyd. Um, certainly Pink Floyd weren't the only other artists to have done that. And I'm probably missing many other examples, but I just, an interesting parallel. And the, the second, you know, you already mentioned it, but like, uh, the guitar is very cleanly recorded with no distortion. And that's, that's a really interesting choice compared to, right? Like it's just, uh, it is Johnny Greenwood just, just playing it through Mm -hmm. and very cleanly. And then the piano comes in and disrupts that, but the effect on the guitar never changes. Yeah. And this is another one that's working in uh, like the that jazz mode. They're, they're doing yes. they're doing jazzy chords. Uh, this is one of the few Radiohead songs I can pretty competently play on the guitar. But even just recently, listeners, I had one chord wrong, which your <laughs> uh, industrious co-host Zach Glenn, I saw him playing it, and I was like, "Uh oh, I've been playing the wrong chord there." Zach, tell them what that chord is because I do not know. Um, it it's a uh, it's a jazz uh, a jazz chord i'm oh gosh the actual name escapes me right now but um is it a, like c sharp plus or something or uh well yeah that'd be a uh it's a d sharp augmented um so it's it, yeah and then he so in that particular portion it's just a, a d sharp augmented which is just to say listeners like a a funky looking jazz chord <laughs> yeah you know? we don't have to get everything right technically. well it's that part with the uh after you can take us on that Bring, yes. bring, bing, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. What you want to do? <laughs> um, uh. um, now. That's not in the song. Shall I answer the question that I teased at yeah. the beginning? Oh, and also, it's a pro- I didn't even realize this, but it's appropriate that I posed a question in this because you, as you said in a, our Ben's episode, uh-huh. Radiohead will put punctuation in their songs. They will pose questions to you. That song is called You and Whose Army? Question mark. So they, <laughs> nice poll that I don't remember. Well, you know, I edit the episodes. And I, oh, right, and my, right. It's something that I didn't catch when we were recording it, but I laughed at very hard in editing is you go, they will ask songs. <laughs> No, they will you ask said questions. they will ask questions in their songs, listeners, <laughs> which I like because you're kind of like threatening yeah. our listeners with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so to answer my question of is that my favorite song on oh, this is album? Is it your favorite song, Walker? I'd have to say maybe. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> All right, listeners. The next song is one that I know Zach has a lot to say about. Um, this is I Might Be Wrong. Oh, getting back into a little bit of. A mm-hmm. little bit of digital town after after a... We're going back to space is kind of how I like to think of there it. There you go, yeah. Very cool noise. This has that all over it. So already, Talk to us, Zach. I know you have a lot to say about from this. a technique perspective. We talked about how in uh, "Packed Like Sardines," um, we have a consistent rhythm going, but with that backbeat and those extra quarter notes, uh, you still keep your foot tapping to the same beat. This time, we have it on the guitar. So, the, listeners, you'll notice this riff is very repetitive. It does change in the upcoming chorus, but it starts out with a one, two, one, two, one, two, and then it goes 
One, two. One, two, three. One, two, three. Uh-huh. One, two. So, yeah. So all... Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean... It's, it's <laughs> no, a, I'm wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what you mean. Talking. It does do that there, but it's it's we're actually... You're talking about when they slide up to the eighth fret. Okay. I, I don't want to get too much into fret numbers or, you know, tuning or whatever. I oh, want get to. Get into one fret number. <laughs> <laughs> um... Don't tease us with fret numbers so and then hold it back. We, we have another example of it right here with this course coming up if you want to. Sure. Is it that? Yeah, that's it's doing the same thing that I was talking about. That's the bass making that. But everything you're saying is right on. It's okay. what they what they're doing is they're they're splitting the beat, right? So we're we're not we're not changing time signatures, right? You're just adding in an extra beat. And what this does is it really gives a crescendo type build. The su- and that's what's so genius about that's what good songwriting is in my opinion, is you don't have to make something, um, you know, the busiest or the most complex. But when you layer your instruments, or if you do something a little bit different, still in that same mode of repetition, this is a very specific type of, of brilliant songwriting, it, it builds in your subconscious. It, for me, it builds in my chest. And, and it's like rising and rising and rising. And that's absolutely what's going on in this song. Listen to the bass. Now we got the bass really doing a lot. And, and tip of the hat to Nigel, too, because you'll notice he cuts everything when we go into this chorus right here. We could still hear it, but it was not as busy as it was in the verse. Yeah, it's cutting the drums just mm-hmm. down to the hi-hat. And this is... Now, I think this is one... I'm speculating here. And you can probably tell me mm-hmm. if... <laughs> I might be wrong, but I think that this <laughs> is one where Phil is is playing a drum track, mm-hmm. but that snare is definitely... He's hitting a um, a sample pad. Yes, and am, am I right? Yeah, and, and uh, we will cover that in uh, in our next track, Walker. Um, well, do, Zach, as do for you, what is Phil is doing, should I play that? No, no, we got to get through this uh, this whole version. All right, uh, if that's sorry, okay, I jumped the gun there. Now, I I just want to say, I just wanted you to from a non technical point of view, just as a as a fan of this song, I think this is um, the ultimate melding of the two musical approaches on this album. Yes. This is this has that antiseptic, electronic, kind of cold steel feel. What a great and song it, that was, right, Walker? It was really good. <laughs> it's too bad it's over. Uh, well, uh, what? Antiseptic feel. You know what I'm saying? Like it yes. has it has that kind of like clinical feel, and it also sounds like them playing in a room. Yes, and I think that's a really hard thing to accomplish. You know. I, I'm sure I said this in the Kid A episode. I'm very rarely happy about it when a rock and roll band that I like goes into their electronic phase. Sure, sure, sure. Radiohead sure. is really the only band that I like where I like that mode as much, where I like packed like sardines as mm-hmm. much as I like uh, electioneering. I've been thinking that, that exact thought nonstop. And this is both. This song really has both. This song is both, and and uh, if we could just before we go into the next one, just pause it for a quick second. Um, uh, we're gonna go into uh, vulnerable territory again, so maybe not vulnerable. Just just this is so subjective. But um, as as so that song is, I might be wrong. I mentioned it on previous episodes. It's obviously very near, very near and dear to me. 
If you're following us on Instagram, you've seen Zach uh, play it very oh, yeah. proficiently on the guitar. Well, thank you. So, so the feeling these are abstract, but that evokes um, for me uh, with that song. You know, you mentioned kind of uh, spacey electronic. I forget the words you used with that opening kind of intro. I think I said the word antiseptic about five times. So, what the that just that very first chunk um, before Johnny's guitar comes in reminds me of what it must be like to be in the womb. You know, it's very, very spacey. You can only hear these sort of muted. And by being in the womb, I don't mean like, you know, when you're the size of a pea. I mean, right before you come out and you're just getting these impressions of of the world around you. Um, it reminds me of uh, once you're out of the womb, your first awareness of human suffering. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go into that too much, but I think we all have that moment. For some people, it's at 12 six some people it's at 24 depending on how you what kind of life you led you do have a moment um most people do where you see that though your world is not everyone else's world and depending on all kinds of shit sometimes that comes a lot earlier for other people um i can't quite explain why but i think just the title alone i might be wrong uh you know that that was a moment for me thinking that I, I, it's a mantra I repeat almost every day when I have a knee-jerk reaction to something is, hey, I, I could be incorrect sometimes with more success than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, so, you know, my next point was it, it first feelings of doubt in the world you give into you and the level of unease this can cause. That song is very uneasy. Mm-hmm. All of the, the studio version. It's like believe, being introduced to a new perspective that is making you question some assumptions that you have. Is, exactly. And it's, it's capturing that feeling of discomfort totally and 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 i mean in hindsight you know um you know uh my co-host here was on a, a wonderful podcast called growing up christian in which i think he uh distilled the jarring effects of that um but also in a way that was very relatable right in that it's rarely pleasant when you have those moments whether it rocks your worldview maybe you uh you know authority figures in your life are not happy that you have had a, a change of heart um regardless though that's that's what that song reminds me of is i might be wrong and then sort of that chorus of uh let's go down the waterfall have ourselves a good time it's nothing at all it it feels like the youthful optimism of you know maybe a first date or a first relationship and the song we're about to play the way i sort of think of it is a second half but for me it was in my 20s maybe for other people it's a little bit older the chaos and the darkness and the rawness of it are repeating those same motifs but you've been burned a couple times mm-hmm. and and it, i mean we can go ahead and cue it up now uh and and this also you know is another example of where i think radiohead i don't know if it was conscious or not um they don't care really what people think <laughs> they make great music and i think i don't know if it's that people thought you know kept saying oh your favorite band is now digital well i think radiohead said okay Fuck you, because this is that same song played live, uh, same year. Yeah, I, I, man, um, a few things that you're saying are 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 uh, bringing stuff up for me. I mean, first of all, the last thing you said about Radiohead taking subverting the expectations of mm-hmm. what it means for a rock band to go digital, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of kind of like what Kanye West did with auto tune on 808s and heartbreak mm-hmm. where you take this thing that is just being used and used and used just overused and, and, and is draining mm-hmm. popular music of kind of it's, uh, 
of its individuality. Yes. It's making everything sound like it makes kinda, you feel like an old man too. Like Drake is popular. Right. It's <laughs> just like when you just hear like something becomes a trend and it starts out as cool and interesting and new and then everybody's doing it, you know, like grunge or something. Mm-hmm. It's just like it becomes really totally. samey and boring. And then there's still artists that are able to capture an overused technique or technology, mm-hmm. sound whatever mm-hmm. style of song mm-hmm. and because they are so unique nothing that they do sounds normal mm-hmm. right kanye west like i said is one of those artists where he's taking this auto-tune convention that's really popular in rap at that time mm-hmm. i think it was around 2008 that that album came out oh okay of people kind of these verses that they used to rap they're kind of like freestyle singing over an auto-tune but because it's kanye west and he's a bizarre artist it still comes out completely unique Mm -hmm. to him radiohead same thing with what they're Mm -hmm. doing with like oh people are kind of experimenting in this Mm -hmm. mode of going electronic but they can't help it they can't they couldn't sound the same if they wanted to Mm -hmm. prince Writing mm. a song like Purple Rain and then saying later, oh, this was me writing a country western song. Mm-hmm. And okay, I know the chords of that song, so I kind of get where he started. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he took... I, I, I feel like that was him going, this is literally what I think mm-hmm. that is. But because I'm Prince, it comes out sounding like nothing you've ever heard before. Mm-hmm. And Even and- if I'm trying to write a stock country song. Well, and in the case of Prince, and I think, you know, sometimes in the case of Radiohead as well, it shows you what, it, maybe it doesn't show you, it gives you a peek behind the curtain of how a genius's mind functions, where they might take in information of country song, and that is the is is the product you can kind of reconcile the two of them but it's like country filtered through prince is country i want to listen to uh-huh <laughs> and and uh, you know i don't i i uh, yeah i just i just think that that's a, a really really nice parallel because oh this is what i was going to say with pyramid song uh i think pyramid song sounds a little bit like um radiohead by way of led zeppelin uh-huh and uh, okay. I think there's one other song in Radiohead's catalog that sounds that way. It's on an album we've not gotten to yet, so we won't talk about it. The vocal melody, I definitely very Robert really Plant. Hear that. Yeah. yeah, and and um, and uh, yeah, that that's uh, so we're saying in the mode of I might be wrong. Um, uh, do you mind if I take over the controls because I do have a few timestamps I want to stop it at? Or sure, okay. Um, uh, now, but, but real quickly, I just wanted to yeah. comment on one other thing you said, which was the youthful optimism of the lyrics about let's go down the water slide. Oh, I'm sorry. The waterfall. For some reason, I always change it to a slide for Radiohead's talking about the natural splendor of a waterfall. And I'm like, can we go to a water park? And that's why <laughs> I am not as good as Radiohead. Um, no, but like those somewhat optimistic mm-hmm. lyrics, uh, with the unnerving nature of the music. Mm-hmm. I had not thought of this until you were pointing that out, mm. but it's really an interesting inversion of mm-hmm. what they've done so much mm-hmm. on OK Computer, mm-hmm. where they take these mundane or quote-unquote happy-sounding things and fill them with deep sadness. They take happy-sounding mm-hmm. music 
and then put very sad lyrics over let it. down let down no, no surprises. surprises both very like by st- radiohead standards both very pretty and upbeat sounding mm-hmm. songs but the lyrics are just like a knife in the gut mm-hmm. And this is kind of the opposite. It's mm-hmm. taking these kind of like uh, buoyant sounding ideas. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Fuck it. Well, the Life's ori- a good time. And then putting this really sinister sounding yes. music under it. It's just really interesting. No, it's a departure. I never thought regard. of this song yeah. in that way. And, and the original inspiration for this song was Tom um, was uh, walking on a beach um, b- by his home. And uh, looked through, looked, you know, from the beach, looked at towards his his home um, and thought that he saw uh, a ghost. And, you know, Tom York, uh, per his own admission, is not a believer in, in spirits or ghosts. But because he said it was so vivid and that's what he saw, that was the inspiration for this song. I don't know that it guided the rest of the lyrical content, but I'm sure listeners were anxious for us to get that through. So this is... Um, now, you want to talk about the live version of this song, right? Yeah. So what we're about to play is uh, the live version. It was originally recorded um, in Oxford uh, in the month of July 2001. And um, it is from the I Might Be Wrong live album, where most of the other songs were played live in Paris, but this was played uh, in Oxford. And all the songs on that live album are Kid A and amnesia mm-hmm. songs or b-sides yes there's there's one song on there that did not make either album so just to reinforce again listeners everything i said about the vibes that that first one gives me is youthful optimism this is uh to me reminds me of repeating those same mantras um but with having been burnt um is the best way i can put it so here we go do you think that's those cheering sounds are Ed being like, <laughs> we're going to get to Ed on this live. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, that is Tom on the tambourine listeners. You heard it in the intro there. We'll hear it again. So it is important to note. Uh, there's essentially one guitar player on this song because Ed does have a guitar and the additions that we'll cover uh, towards the end of the song um, are essential to this uh, to this uh, rendition, uh, but they don't involve him helping with the riff, which is going to blow your mind in a minute when you hear what Johnny Greenwood is doing because Tom is playing the tambourine. So there's one guitar player on this song. Uh-huh. And the percussion approach is different here in this live version. Phil is hitting a acoustic snare instead mm-hmm. of a sample pad. So the whole thing is harder, faster, more direct, I would sure. say. Sure, but uh, we'll hear in a moment that Phil does have a sample pad. It's it's really hard to hear in this mix. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll tell you when it's coming. Okay, listeners, get ready to hear Phil's sample pad. Oh, that one, two. Okay, here's it. Okay, Uh, we're a minute 47 in. Listen to what that dry strum. Is that Ed? That's Ed, and it's essential. Like the song would not be the also, same without Colin that. Colin is just fucking kicking okay. ass over there. 
Johnny Greenwood adding more in the beat there. In fact, if I could just rewind it just a little bit. So to right here, listeners, Johnny Greenwood adds essentially double time. Yes. Does it do that in the studio version? No. No, this is all additional. And now Ed is all the way up at the uh, 15th fret doing the harmonics. Zach is fully rocking out, listeners. <laughs> yeah. I now, <laughs> I can turn it up if there are specific parts you want to point out, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to hear you commentate um, a little bit on, on just why why are you... Well, right so here, Ed is now all the way shredding on the... Uh, I guess it'd be the A sharp or B flat. Oh, and, and uh, Johnny just did the double time again, but that's okay. Let's, uh, so there's a lyrical addition right here. Waves come out and go in again. This is not in the studio version. Oh, really? <clears throat> the waves come out, go in again, come in again. Interesting. Okay, this is different right here. Johnny Greenwood's going eight seven zero five seven zero three five three five eight seven. Guys, this to me is what being in a band is. Everyone is doing so... Oh, my God. Right, and it just doesn't work without one of the parts as well. No, and, and uh, you know, I, I love to have our fun with Ed. Um, but, uh, and, and this end is amazing, but yeah, uh, we did let a lot of that song play. Let's, let's, okay. this is cool. Okay, so um, I, I was the the main thing I uh, and you so graciously passed over the controls to me and uh, yeah, that's a very important song to me. The mu- the lyrical edition of "Waves Come Out and Come In Again." Um, you know, it's always hard with Tom York to tell precisely what he might be saying, but uh, to me, um, you know, I recently read the Stephen King novel "Misery" uh, for the first time uh, this year. Oh, and I know where uh, in "Misery," you know, uh, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Another inspired artist that, uh, you know, whatever, very prolific. And one of the things I think he's so brilliant at is painting um, pictures of something like pain or heartbreak or whatever. And in the novel Misery, um, the way he describes his pain and the pain being quelled from uh, a pill addiction he eventually forms is the tide coming in and the tide going out. And, you know, I, I don't pretend to think at all that Tom York was drawing upon that, but... 
to me, that's sort of the the analogy and, and sticking with my sort of narrative of I might be wrong in the studio is like this sort of optimism of sure, we'll get married. Things will be great, you know, or whatever, you know, you're just your general optimism. And then this one waves come out and they come in again. It just, I just picture just, just like, fuck, I got to do it again. Maybe folks that have been through a cycle of bad relationships. Let's go down on the waterfall. You're just exhausted, but you have to keep that optimism. If you're going to try it again, yeah. have ourselves a good time. So ultimate lesson. And it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Johnny Greenwood adding in those fourth and fifth beats. Um, and, and that Ed is essential to the percussive aspects um, I would really, really encourage listeners to go onto YouTube and look up uh, I Might Be Wrong Live 2001. There's a version of them in Paris and a version on Jules Holland, almost identical to this version. You really, really get a chance to see what a band fucking at their peak looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got. And it's also worth saying, too, that this is also the phase in Radiohead's career um, when they're playing these songs live where Tom has stepped into his own as a frontman. And, you know, Radiohead, they're, they're not, it, it, it's not like Queen in an arena. They're, that's not their focus mm-hmm. is stage presence, I wouldn't say. But this is where Tom starts dancing and he's front and center and he's got a lot com- of girlfriends to talk to after this, this type of moment. Yeah, yeah. This, he, he's, <laughs> he's not wishing it was the 60s anymore no. because the, things are going just fine for old Tommy Tom, <laughs> old Tomcat as we call him. <laughs> In 2001, <laughs> I think he was in a relationship at this time and yes. through most of their career uh, remaining. To your but, point, though, he looks so fucking cool. I mean, he's, he's, he's embraced himself. This is where he comes out. He's comfortable <clears throat> with the weirdness. He's not disguising mm-hmm. his voice. He's not trying to dance in a way that a sex symbol would dance. He's dancing the way that he would dance and it's cool and it works and Mm -hmm. it fits the music. And I mean, people are always at their best when they're comfortable in their own Mm -hmm. skin, no matter, no matter how odd you are, if you are really comfortable with it and you convey that in your performance, Mm -hmm. people are okay with it. It's why like comedians can be, you know, Stephen Wright can kill Mm -hmm. Because he's comfortable with what he's doing. It doesn't matter that he's this mm-hmm. d- disheveled. George Carlin dude. would be maybe like a, a comedian if we're talking Tom York to comedians. I mean, the, George Carlin is famous for uh, he would he would improvise a dance move uh, sort of in, in rhythm. Are, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. It, you know, yeah. And, and someone absolutely confident, comfortable in their own skin. And there's some there's some sort of sex appeal. Uh, to when a person finally embraces that. And, and with Freddie Mercury, that's a hilarious example, because I would argue and I think that's what you're saying. Freddie Mercury w- was so comfortable in his own skin. He just happened to be an athletic showman. Yes. And so people then trying to imitate that, it doesn't necessarily work. And I think it took this, the kid A sort of amnesiac period. Uh, ironically, which is one of the more electronic, maybe digitized eras of Radiohead for them to become the most human. Yes. Mike dropped. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. That was really good. Um, too bad that we have to keep talking because that was, that would have been a great thing to close on. Just kidding, listeners. We're going to say so much more cool shit. Um, all right. Shall we go to the next song? Yes. I'm ready. So that was I Might Be Wrong, both the studio and live version. Getting back to the studio tracks on Amnesiac. Next, we have what was the second single of the album. This is Knives Out. Now, this is a song Radiohead wrote about a movie that would come out in 2019, <laughs> directed by Ryan Johnson. Let's write a similarly okay song. Okay, so I that's found that movie to be very overrated. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, you also... I'm going to just cut to the quick here. You just called this song only okay? 
No, um, I think that this song has. I, we're moments. obviously talk, we're talking. No, in no, no. Relative no, yeah. to Radiohead terms, I gotcha. Um, I think our Radiohead cred is is at full throttle. We this like point. this band. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I always think of uh, that this song took 312 hours to record, mm-hmm. um, which is it worked out to about a year in the studio, and mm-hmm. not every day coming and, and playing Knives Out, but I weirdly think you can hear that. That it's, um, there's a hilarious movie, uh, Dewey Cox, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, yeah. And and I think what it, it geniusly demonstrates, uh, this is my favorite part of the song, um, is that when you work on a magnum opus too long, it can often become something that just can't live up to the expectation of either the creator or the consumers. I think Avatar by James Cameron is an example of that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Gangs of New York by Martin Scorsese. I, I don't really know a musical example, but this is just not the standout song in the album to me. It's interesting. I think a musical example, a song that sure. like this song I also love, but no one would call this the among the best Beatles songs, uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. That's one. I, I, I love that song. Do you song. want to play Maxwell's Silver Hammer again? The way George asks. He's still trying to be sincere and get back at that point. But it's like, no, you don't want to fucking play that shit. Right. Like, it's Paul's like... Paul's granny shit. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's funny. It's like, again, I actually really like I that song. Yes. And, but it's funny for that to be the song yes. that drove the band crazy yes. trying to get it Agreed. right. When you're like, this is perhaps one of the more slight contributions of mm-hmm. what is my favorite Beatles album, so I think every song is mm-hmm. an A+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a wonderful comparison, and I think that there's uh, that was one of the moments of Get Back that I really enjoyed was, because you've always heard the quote from John, Beatles fans, that that's Paul's granny shit, along with um, uh, Obladi Oblada. Another one that it took them like 70,000 hours to get And those correct. are songs that are maybe a little bit on the silly side. This is not a Beatles podcast, but hey. Uh, they are the Mount Rushmore of uh, bands of four guys. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, but I think you Zach, was, what? I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but please. if Radiohead was on Mount Rushmore, oh, someone no. would have to oh, get left no. off. Oh, Only no. four heads. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's just four heads. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> Twist. It's four heads. Um, sorry, you were saying. Uh, I I was just extending your point already. Just that. Those are great songs, Maxwell Silver Hammer and Obla Di Obla Da. But uh, I could speak C becoming sick of them immediately. I could see becoming sick of them if I were playing them over and over, especially because they're in that sillier vein. This is totally different than that, but it is repetitive. It seems maddeningly complex from a percussive standpoint. And uh, it's just not a standout. Um, I I feel similarly. So this is an interesting song to me because it's one that every time I hear it, I'm into it. But it's a a song I never um, go out of my way to hear. Um, I I when I listen to Amnesiac, Mm -hmm. it is mostly with no skips and Mm -hmm. all in one sequence because uh, I have analog uh, vinyl Mm -hmm. copies of all the Radiohead albums, Mm -hmm. but Radiohead is an album, sorry, but Radiohead is a band I also put on in the car a lot Mm -hmm. from my phone, Mm -hmm. and Amnesiac is an album I listen to a lot, 
but I wouldn't say it's the one that I put on outside of the house the most. Mm-hmm. I listen to it a lot on the record, and okay. it's so perfectly sequenced. There's never a moment where I'm like, oh, I wish I could skip past this song. The songs that if I am just listening to Radiohead in general in the car and I'm like, ooh, now I want to hear this song sure. and I'm going to Amnesiac, it's going to be Packed Like Sardines. Mm-hmm. It's going to be You and Who's Army and it's going to be I Might Be Wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all the other songs. Mm-hmm. Those are just the ones that it's like, if I only got time to take a quick dip in the Amnesiac mm-hmm. pool, I want to listen to those. So Knives Out. Not my favorite song. Mm -hmm. Always really happy to hear it when Mm -hmm. it's in sequence. I will say we are now in a section of the album Mm -hmm. that Knives Out represents the start of for me. These next three songs, to me, feel very tied to each other. And it is my least favorite section of the album. Yeah. And Uh, on that, I'm going to, we can play it in the background. The next song is an alternate version of Morning Bell, a song that is on. Kid A, mm-hmm. and there is this different version of. Apparently, there were several versions mm-hmm. of it. I think it's really cool mm-hmm. that they have a different version of the same song on both albums. Mm-hmm. I think it sounds very, very uh, well sequenced with what we just heard. Knives sure. out. Having said that, I am not a huge fan of this version of Morning. It, it is so interesting. Um, uh, that they decided to include this, you know, uh, I believe Kid A, I believe, is 10 tracks long. Ten. It's 11 if you count the untitled so, track. Oh, let's I, not count that. Okay. And uh, OK Computer is 10 tracks long. Mm-hmm. Amnesiac is 11 tracks long. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that they decided to, to include an alternate version of a song that we got previously on the previous album. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's certainly not a better version. It is different. It's more, for me, it's a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. So during the section changes, I think it just has a more uh, minor flavor to it or melancholy flavor to it. I happen to really like this version. I totally agree with you. It's inferior to the Kid A version, which mm-hmm. I think is just uh, edited, not edited, uh, refined to perfection. Mm-hmm. And. I love this part. And I'm talking, when I say this part, I mean unique to the amnesiac version. Um, But I think you lose a little bit of the... Morning Bell is in five time on Kid A. I think you lose a little bit of the magic by slowing it down this much Mm -hmm. um, to where it's it's maybe a little easier to track with and becomes a little bit boring. Yeah, I think it loses a little bit of its, like, sense of urgency that the the first one has, which gives it that kind of, like, the first morning bell, when it's in a quick, looped, five-time drum beat from Phil doing that role. Yeah, Yeah. and and he's saying, where'd you park the car? It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, this conveys that, like, sense Mm -hmm. of stress that this whole album is conveying really Mm -hmm. well. And this one just, eh, just a little bit of a dirge to me and I again I want to be very clear Mm -hmm. I like Radiohead (laughs) not only do I like Radiohead I like every song on this album a lot so the ones that I'm saying I'm not as into it's I'm not as into these songs on one of my favorite Radiohead albums I I don't want to try to quantify um my order of albums at this point I do think that's something that we will lay Uh out at the end but I do know that Amnesiac is certainly in the top 50% Uh of their albums for me. Probably in the top 25% of their albums for me. Okay. So I I really like every single song. 
that last one, this one, and this next one that I'm going to play. Um, again, all very coherent together. Zach, this is my least favorite song on the album. Mm-hmm. This is Dollars and Cents. Interesting. I prefer Dollars and Cents to, even though I I had quite a bit to say about uh, Polk Pole Revolving Doors, um, since this is sort of in that mode, yeah. I would say I actually prefer this song uh, to the sort of non-traditional musical renderings, I guess, would maybe be the group of songs that this and then Dollar um, uh, Hunting Bears uh-huh. fall into. Hunting. I don't love this song, but compared to the two. I don't know if I... Okay, well, if we're going to put it up against Revolving Doors, that's tough. I guess I think of this one as a little more of a song than Revolving Doors, so I'm kind of thinking of the... That's very true. The songs as tr- we traditionally think of songs. This is my least favorite. Um, uh, I yeah. think that this one, in terms of, like, kind of, if it has an echo from Kid A, I would probably compare it the most closely to In Limbo. Oh, interesting, because I think that Knives Out is the closest to In Limbo. I could see that. I think of Knives Out as a little more of this album's optimistic, because it's the closest to a full band sure, playing sure, sure. Uh, for yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. song Absolutely. arrangement. You know, even though it's weirder than optimistic, it's mm-hmm. a kind of traditional sure, sure, rock sure. and roll song. But I buy that too. I, I could compare I, this I think it's to... just the downward melody that the guitar is playing in um, in uh, Knives Out and then in, in Limbo as well. You could tell how engaged we are by the songwalker that we're talking about other songs already. <laughs> right, totally. I mean, I just, I, I guess the reason I compared it to In Limbo is because it's a song that um, doesn't have a super clear melody but has a ton of really interesting sure. stuff going on. The drums are spectacular the drums are spectacular and it's one of those things where the way the drums are playing against the vocal melody it makes it sound uh rhythmically a Uh lot more complex than it Mm -hmm. actually is i just anyway i guess i now i'm feeling a little bad because i compared it to in limbo to compare it unfavorably i just if this is this album's in limbo this is one where i very much prefer the kid a version of this moment uh do you know what it reminds me but of? i do really like this part a lot i, I where do the too. two vocal parts are going and it's getting all intense there's a very this is kind of uh you know we said in the that's opening episode half over zach this that, song that's okay my point's only just begun um <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant, uh, now i'm turning on the song again a little bit because i thought it was reaching its climax and it's only half over well, and that's something they've done to great effect in a lot of the songs. I would say you and whose army and I might be wrong. You think that they've climaxed. Uh, same with just. Same with. Anyways, um, in this case, maybe it works against it a little bit. But what this reminds me of with Tom York's vocal and sort of chaotic affectation and picking his spots is, um, I guess I would say when when comedians or or actors do impressions of Tom York, of which there are some funny ones. Uh, Fred Armisen, who I know is a huge fan of Radiohead, so uh, but there's a SNL skit from I think it's 2011 of duets with Michael Bublé for Christmas songs. Oh, I have to see that. It's so funny, and it's Michael. Bl- it's you know Michael Bublé himself going and a Mary, and then it'll be like uh, Taylor Swift and and. Um, uh, 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 I can't remember. It's one of those books. sketches, though, where it's just a loose premise for everyone to get to do every impression that yes. they have. And those oh, are oh some Jimmy of the Fallon best. is terrific in it. Who, a person who I do not find funny. His musical impressions are really good. Oh my god, he does a sting. It so it's Michael Bublé with Sting. Um, it's so funny, and then it's uh, Michael Bublé with Tom York, and uh, Fred Armisen plays him. His his physical mimic, 
and, and it's a caricature, so it stings a little bit. But then I know Fred Armisen is actually a really talented musician himself and has great musical taste. And it does sting a little bit because it's your favorite, but it's like, hey, who cares? There's yeah. funny. And, uh, th- but the vocals that he's impersonating are like the, the kind of like, ah, and you're like, that's not what Radiohead is, but you're like, there are some Radiohead songs where he does that. Yeah. And this is one of them. Fair enough. Uh, that's hilarious. I gotta watch that. Kristen Wiig plays uh, uh, Taylor Swift, and it's, it's, uh, it's, she, she is so goddamn brilliant. That was a, that was a great cast. That was a good time in yeah. SNL history. Yeah. Now, okay, so that was that. Oh, do it's you, over? Do you agree with me, though, <laughs> that that is a, it's like a, um, oh, I know what word I would, it's like a suite. It's a, it's like a mm-hmm. movement on the album, I would say, is the, is Knives Out, the amnesiac version of Morning Bell and Dollars and Cents. Yeah. Like, sonically, they're very, very mm-hmm. tied to each other in a way that I think is really cool, but it just, it's. I think it's like the most cohesive part of the album that also represents kind of the sleepiest part of the album for me. Oh, I don't I don't know about the most cohesive because I think you and Who's Army, um Polk Pol and uh oh I'm sorry, I have the order wrong. But the three tracks uh-huh. ended with I Might Be Wrong. I think that's a sweet and a chunk in itself huh. stylistically. And I think that if I think this this one would be inferior. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Now, what 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 we're hearing in the background, listeners, is hunting bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a well. It's not. It's not terribly short. It's about two, a little over two minutes long. Mm-hmm. Instrumental track. I really like this one. I really, really, really like this song. Okay. I mean, you had me on pins and needles there. No, like, well, I, I just wanted to kind of say I feel like I. Well, and you unfavor- hate bears too, right? Is that I hate bears, and yeah. so seeing them hunted to extinction. <laughs> Um, which is, uh, <laughs> I think, given Radiohead's messages and other songs, that it's weird that they're like about like save the planet but and you know bears, no war, yeah? but like kill all bears. Mm-hmm. Radiohead, Especially those polar bears, yeah, yeah. Radiohead is like you know we were actually uh, it's interesting because a bear wandered into the studio while we were recording this, and then Ed of all fucking people took his guitar it took a guitar it took an e string a low e string tied it like a like a garret <laughs> and choked that bloody bear out strangest thing yeah he had an orgasm while he did it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> took us to all other level there oh my god that's really funny though because if somebody in the band is a uh, oh. a serial killer i would definitely say it's going to be ed interesting okay Tom is too obvious. I would go Johnny, unfortunately. Mm. Even though I'm not creeped out by Johnny he in does. the slightest. But Zach. What? What? Walker, Johnny what? Greenwood looks like Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, around the mouth, for sure, yeah. And the 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 big eyes. Yeah, and also, too, Jeffrey Dahmer was uh, blonde, I suppose, but it, it, he could grow his hair into a sad, fl- I, similar hair texture, I guess. Well, and they How both- many times has hair come up on this podcast? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> um, I don't know if there's a ton to say about that song, except it's it sounds like a Greenwood composition. Sure. On the guitar, really cool bit of interstitial music that, to me, has an obvious echo on Kid A. It's the tree fingers of this album. That's very generous of you to. I mean, that song is a thousand times cooler than Tree Fingers. <laughs> well, but I mean, but still, yeah, agreed. Totally, it, it is the Tree Fingers Absolutely. of this album because it is a it is a ambient 
instrumental yes. piece of music. Sure, totally. That is not uh not a a song in the mm-hmm. in the strict sense of the word. You already said it. This is one where I very much prefer this moment on Amnesiac. Yeah. Hunting Bears is a much cooler song than Tree Fingers. And again, God, I feel bad that I'm bashing Ed so much, but it's I think it's because this is a Johnny Greenwood joint and Tree Fingers is an Ed joint, as Absolutely. we found out. And 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 uh, you know, I want to be sensitive to time here, but I I do want to point out that uh Hunting Bears is uh, a, a song form that Radiohead will come to use to great effect, in my opinion, um, on uh, on future albums, um, and in, in that it's a through-composed uh, song form. So through-composition is a song that has an A, a B, a C, and a D, and an E section. It doesn't have to go that many letters, but mm-hmm. an A, B, C even, where no sections repeat. Oh, cool. So an example of this would be um, I Will, or uh, 2 plus 2 equal 5 is uh-huh. a through-composed form. That one actually is A through E. Uh-huh. And so even though that's an instrumental piece, and you could say, okay, well, that's not... Just take note of that, listeners, because Radiohead were taking note of it and saying, hey, can we do this with the full song with vocals and uh, and a lot of different parts? So through-composition, very, very interesting. Oh, Again, cool. want to uh, cite Mr. Osborne there, Brad Osborne. Um, well, in, in sensitivity to time, uh, we only have two songs left on this album, mm-hmm. and this next one is a little something that I like to call like spinning plates. Learn some pretty interesting trivia about this song. What's that? Are we at... Uh, Hour number two. Oh, buddy, we are at almost hour number three. This is that's okay. There's a lot to cover in this one, mm-hmm. and by now we also like we have our listeners. Our listeners are deep into the catalog mm-hmm. with us. This is this is our ninth episode. Zach, you know, it is interesting though that amnesia. I mean, I I definitely front loaded the the history and the the data, but I think Kid A we. We really uh, had a lot to say and moved quickly. It's I, do, I would not have expected Amnesiac to have represented this amount of time. I thought it would because I knew that in kind of covering Amnesiac that we, we would be covering Kid A again in a certain way. Mm-hmm. We're kind of having to go back over that ground. And that's okay. We don't leave stones unturned on this podcast. Well, how about we... Uh, we you want to compromise and uh, let... A little bit of vocals come through here, and then we go ahead to the Why Us version. Sure. For this song. Again, listeners, this would be another example of uh, Radiohead. Um, I'll skip ahead. Radiohead uh, being satisfied with the studio version that's rather restrained, and then showing you what they can do with an alternate version, which I think Walker will play here in a minute. So I just want to hear a little bit of his vocals. So. Some interesting trivia about this song. Hit me. Um, first of all, Tom sang the words backwards, and then they played it backwards, which mm-hmm. is why he sounds like the uh, uh, little person in Twin Peaks who says, uh, that <laughs> yeah, gum yeah. you like is going to come back into style. The music was an originally a version of a song that we're going to hear later. I'm not going to play that now. Sure. But there's a song that comes up on their next album called I Will. Mm-hmm. I just learned this yesterday. Zach may have known this for a long time, but this was them messing with an early version of that song. Didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the feel they wanted. They looped the music backwards mm-hmm. and then made this song yes. off of it, which is really cool. Um, 
when you hear I Will on the next album, it could not sound less like what we're listening to now. However, so. if you examine the chord progression, you could see that it does work in a circular motion. And I did know that, and I alluded to it on our Kid A episode where I said, we were talking about like the alternate perspective that digital rendering and trickery isn't real music and, and how ignorant that might be. So ignorant, in fact, because by not going anywhere with I Will and playing it backwards, they came up with this song, which, uh, you know, I like this version. The version that we'll hear a minute of in a second is absolutely brilliant. One of my favorite Radiohead songs of all time. Um, not, not saying it's top 10. I don't, I'm not that finite, but it's, it's so touching. And it just goes to show you that, like, fucking about with technology doesn't mean that you've stripped yourself of any level of humanity. So, yeah, I will play a little bit. So, as, as you heard, that last version... We so we hear some of the same. We still get a lot of that this synth kind of. noises. Now I I gotta say that last version, the studio version of like spinning plates, uh-huh. is one of the songs that um I didn't think about much. Sure. In earlier years of my Radiohead fandom, I'm not gonna say it's my favorite or anything like that, but sure. uh, it is one that I think is really 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 cool and really well placed on the album, especially when we hear the note they take us out on. Now this. This other version. So do you think, do you, do you like this? Oh yeah, it's awesome. Okay. okay. This is one where I just, I really just appreciate the different versions and I don't, but I don't think that they should have, I think they made the right call with which version they put on the album. I also think they made the right version to play it like this. Yes. Because this is how it sounds live is Tom on a piano. Yeah, if we can get through the first, what would traditionally be thought of as a chorus. Again, this song has no chorus. Do you mind if I skip ahead to No, that? please do. Perfect. I have that. Uh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> We're nearing a vocal peak for me. And you can kind of hear, if you read the lyrics, which the lyrics of the song listeners are... Uh, touching, heartbreaking, beautiful, like most Radiohead songs. However, if you really, uh, if you, yeah, just leave a plane for just a minute, but like, um, you could hear that they are derived from something playing backwards. And you know, there are other bands that have done this. The Beatles famously did it with uh, on Revolver. Um, mm-hmm. Tomorrow never knows. Uh, uh, I'm only sleeping as the backwards uh, guitar solo. Yes, and- yeah, and um, Walker. Here is my hot take on Amnesiac. Not okay. any of the other hot takes I've already had. Uh, particularly with this version, you think about the year that this album was released and you think about what other bands were rising to prominence from the UK. This is the most Muse sounding Radiohead song sure. ever. And yeah. granted, Muse's best album, in my opinion, Absolution, came out in 2003. Origin of Symmetry came out uh, same year as this. So Radiohead obviously got there first. And I, and I, I think Muse... 
uh, have some some very good albums in their early career. I have not kept up with them lately, and what I've heard, I'm not impressed by. However, I think this is um, the only time on this album in this era where you can maybe hear a little bit of complimentary possible mimicry going in both directions, and a little peek into next week's episode. Um, if I'm allowed to do so, I think that Hail to the Thief represents the only Radiohead album where they are potentially consciously competing with other artists that sound like them. Interesting. Um, and that's not, but yeah, even this piano line and how it changes and the, the sort of echoey falsetto, very Matt Bellamy, um, who's an amazing singer and musician himself. <clears throat> yes, but I think that it shows, I don't want to get into, uh, you you said, I wanted to keep that short. <laughs> no, no, you said please, it well. Please, I just, I, I don't want to be too negative. I, I think that, because um, I like, I think I like the same Muse stuff that you do. Absolutely. Um, I, Where we differ slightly is the album that I think is their best album is Origins of Symmetry. Oh, okay. And Absolution yeah, yeah. is actually where they, there's songs I like, but sure. where it starts to lose me a little bit. Totally. Um, I think that Muse shows the limits of mimicry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they don't do their own thing, right, but it's yeah. like he is a, the singer is an amazing singer. The musicianship is really good, but it's got to come mm-hmm. from that real raw place where it's like mm-hmm. Radiohead are obviously crazily accomplished as musicians. But mm-hmm. I think what makes them our favorite band mm-hmm. is the uh, the emotion, the and the the sort of je ne sais quoi of like where the writing is coming from. It's like. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the uh, the soul part is not something that you can manufacture. Abs- yeah. And that's why it's not just boring, uh, boring music being well played. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the political anthemic sort of anger is a is a is definitely a theme that Muse has relied upon. And that's certainly reminiscent of Radiohead. Um, it is overwritten and pretty dorky, I would say, in Muse. This is not an anti-Muse podcast, but and I think I should have let Walker just put a pin on it there because I was very well said. But it, it mimicry has its limitations, right? They're they're imitating uh, the political despondency, and you're just like, okay, God. Um, but are we? Uh, where are we at our climax? We are at the last song of the album. Well, this don't is, throw stones, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Honestly, uh, we shouldn't. Uh, I've tried to do the joke you just did, except for. <laughs> Uh, hey, when it comes to making fun of Muse, you know, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder what it would be like to live life in a glass house. Boys, hit it. Oh, pretty it's weird. funny to say hit it and then it's like a, a weird ambient sound. <laughs> so, uh, well, no, right away, I'm uh, Christos Pondarecki, um, a composer who uh, Johnny Greenwood cites as one of his primary influence from a film composition. I think you can 1,000% hear that influence in the intro to what is a sort of New Orleans jazz funeral dirge. Yeah. But just with that opening sort of ambient texture is very Pondarecki. Pondarecki. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's just what I hear. I, well, don't, I don't know that that's correct. Uh, it's funny that you say um, that this is a... Sounds like a New Orleans funeral dirge. This is a collaboration with a full band. Mm-hmm. This is the Humphrey Littleton band playing that you can hear clarinets, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of woodwind and brass, trumpet. 
and according to Humphrey Littleton, the song starts with an ad-libbed, bluesy, minor key meandering, then it gradually gets so that we're sort of playing real wild, primitive New Orleans blues stuff. Now, I got to tell you, uh, the other quote I saw from this guy, I don't think that he had a great time working with Radiohead. <laughs> um, Interesting. I, I have not heard this, so please enlighten me. Uh, let's, I wish I could. He's like, fucking Ed, man. He's such a dick. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. This is funny. So for the final track, Life in a Glass House, Johnny Greenwood wrote to the jazz trumpeter Humphrey Littleton explaining that Radiohead were a bit stuck. Littleton agreed to perform on the song mm-hmm. with his band after his daughter showed him Radiohead's OK Computer, which is great. I love that. Um, according Fuck to Little yes, dude. That the- is so cool. This is funny. So according to Littleton, Radiohead didn't want it to sound like a slick studio production, but a slightly exploratory thing of people playing as if they didn't have it all planned in advance. The song was recorded over seven hours and left Littleton exhausted. This is a quote. I detected some sort of eye rolling at the start of the session, as if to say we were miles apart. They went through quite a few nervous breakdowns during the course of it all, just trying just through trying to explain to us what they wanted. Okay. So I, I think that that's, I'm really glad that it doesn't sound dismissive of the results, totally. but it doesn't sound like it was a fun process for. No, but I'm very he- grateful that you Humphrey dove Littleton into the band. why of it and that it doesn't, it didn't sound like mistreatment or that they were butting heads. But I think when a band um, doesn't have a, well, that's not a good example. I was going to say it doesn't have a George Martin, but they have Nigel. But what they're trying to convey is so abstract and bonkers of we we don't want it to sound good. In a way, Walker, it circles back to our point that when people say it's like jazz is total bullshit because jazz is highly organized. And they were telling them, hey, don't be organized. We want it to sound chaotic. To a professional musician, you're like, okay, well, I can't unlearn how to be structured and organized. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I get it. And it's also just too like it's like bringing other people in who don't share this sibling language of the band is probably really hard. Like Tom doesn't read music, but him and Johnny have been making music together since they were teens. Yeah. So they know how to communicate ideas to each other. And then you bring some other guy in and it's like Humphrey is like, what's, what's up with these, uh, what's up with these krauts? They're not German. (laughs) Why did I say (laughs) krauts? (laughs) What's up with these? Uh, Let's listen to this. Yeah. We got my favorite solo going on here. Or trumpet, rather. Um, I adore this song. I love this song. And uh, listeners didn't come to this podcast to hear Walker and I sing over what I would think would be our favorite band. Um, This is a very, very fun song for vocal exercises. Uh, There's a really gorgeous harmony that you can find in the chorus. You have the... Um, that's one of the things we haven't really talked too much about the vocals on this album, but I think Tom York's vibrato uh, and his head resonance in this album, on this album rather, is, is spectacular, and it allows for "On You and Who's Army," "I Might Be Wrong," "Life in a Glass House." There's some really good opportunities to train your voice for harmony, and uh, uh, you know that that's been my experience. But I would encourage listeners to do the same. That's Amnesiac. What do you think, Zach? Good I or for- bad? I forgot it all. I know. Um, oh, oh my God! What? I forgot to press record. <laughs> uh, I Listeners, these you. are jokes about amnesia. <laughs> the condition this album is named after. I forgot to tell you that um, 
the band the Red Hot Chili Peppers does mm. a very famous cover of Life in the Glass House. Really? I'm not I'm not messing around. I can't imagine that being good. Uh, well, okay, fair point. But can you imagine them covering any other Radiohead song? I think it makes complete sense. Given, forget Anthony Kiedis Walker. Just push him out of your mind. Flea, John Frusciante, Chad Smith. This is totally right up their alley. I don't like it. All right. Okay. I don't want... Okay. Red Hot Chili Peppers need to stay out of Radiohead's business. <laughs> Interesting trivia nonetheless. It is. I appreciate you sharing it, but I'm not very open to whatever that sounds like, <laughs> I gotta say. So that was Amnesia. Uh, amnesia. Amnesiac. Um, I put this among their best work. Uh, it may sound like I was getting a little nitpicky with certain parts of it. A little it's, cunty. It's, it's a little bit cunty in some of the details. Don't get cute, as the Sopranos would caution us. <laughs> um but uh, I I really, really love this album. I listen to it a lot. I think it is probably um, the... I think it's probably the densest material for me that Radiohead mm. has in terms of, like, I'm still kind of... How do I put this? By the next time I listen to this, I might be like, oh, I was missing it with dollars and cents. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just an album that songs that did not make a huge impression on me years ago when I started sure. listening to it still are standing out to me years later. Like I said, like that album version of like Spinning Plates, I always thought it was cool or like, oh, that's interesting. But now I really, really appreciate it. I sure. really, really appreciate its placement on the album. They knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. and I'm not really here to quibble with it because I think that this is an album that, um, what did Tom say about it? That it's like you're finding a bunch of maps and mm-hmm. charts that you don't know where they go. You're I in think the I'm fire. still, yeah, exactly. And I think that I might still, all these years later, be like, oh, it turns out I was holding this chart upside down. And Mm -hmm. I want to keep listening to it and keep getting into Mm -hmm. it because it's just not an album I've gotten sick of. And it's an album that Mm -hmm. has only grown in my esteem year after Mm -hmm. year. What are your final thoughts? No attempt at humor. Mm -hmm. It is an album I think that is oft forgot. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I think that like pyramid song, uh, when you're, when you're a genius and when you're in that mode and and in a group there, you know, um, some things are going to be accidental. I don't know if they were like, let's make Kid A, yeah, and then called it Amnesiac because people will forget it, and it's brilliant. I don't think that's how geniuses work. I don't have anything to add to what you just said. It's, I mean, I've, I've said it before. I think the mark of great art, not by my definition, but by any person's, is something that you can come back to and find new meaning in. And, <clears throat> you know, I think that's... that. I'm paraphrasing. That's kind of what I got out of what you said. And um, I love this album. Uh Walker, I know we're at three hours. Um, I would like, we can cut this if you like. I would like to quickly ask you a question first. All right. So we're going to break some rules here because we are going to mention future albums only in name, no other details. I would like to tell you at the start of this podcast what my favorite Radiohead albums were in order of favorite to least favorite. And I would like to tell you only up to Amnesiac what my favorites are at this point. So we're not going to cover future albums. Yeah, that sounds great. We can, I, I, I don't think we should say what our favorites are after this, but I, 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 yeah, I, I would rank. Can what I we... tell you though, what my favorites were in January? 
I- including ones that are that come after this but okay. yes yes okay here we go zach's favorites uh listeners walker can attest this is dated one thirty one twenty two. i'm looking at the date listeners he's not lying to is there you. 31 days in january and there's a picture of him holding that list and that day's newspaper so that you know and a dead bear's head <laughs> uh, we went bear hunting that weekend all right zach's favorites as of january 2022 number one Hail to the goddamn thief. Mm-hmm. Number two. Okay, computer. <laughs> Number three, in rainbows. Number four, amnesiac. Number five, the bends. Number six, kid A. Whoa. Just just let me get through. Number seven, a moonshaped pool. Number eight, king of limbs. Number nine, Pablo Honey. I would like you to say- You thought you liked the Benz more than Kid A that I recently? I did. And because- Or maybe you still think that. No. I don't even know. I, I would like to tell you my favorite Radiohead albums in order of uh, my, you know, top down. Uh, only through Amnesiac as of now, which is September of 20, 2022. Kid A, Amnesiac, OK Computer, The Benz, Pablo Honey. It's my favorite is now Kid A. Right below that is Amnesiac. Below that is Out of what we've listened to. Out of what we've listened to. I don't know that my former favorite, Hail to the Thief, I don't know where that'll rank after we listen to it. That's how awesome of an experience this has been, is my uh my the amount that I'm willing to delve into and like, you know, things that have opened up my mind and spoke to me, um, has completely changed in this project. I you don't is, have to say you're saying, but that is no, just no. I think that me. is beautiful. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it with me. <laughs> At you. the same time, <laughs> I close. wish I could have amnesia <laughs> and forget that you just told me that there was a time very recently, mm-hmm. Zach Glenn, mm-hmm. who I do a Radiohead podcast with. <laughs> Who I happen to like a lot. (laughs) Who I like and did not think was a sick freak. (laughs) Total dumbass. No, that's um no, that's I I um I'm gonna drop the bit now because that's really that's really interesting. I and I think that as much as I prickle at the idea of preferring the Benz to Kid A, Mm -hmm. it also is like how much of that is just the conventional wisdom about what we have kind of absorbed to be the most important of Radiohead's mm-hmm. work? And how much does that say about Radiohead that you can be a fan mm-hmm. as avidly as you are for this long and still find such unearthed treasures in albums that you thought you knew back and forth? Yeah. And I am really, really curious to... And, and also... I guess I kind of had the opposite thing where I, I, the Ben's really, really, really raised in my esteem from us doing this podcast about it. So it's going to be really interesting to see where all these things fall uh, at the end of this project. And by really interesting, I mean to us (laughs) (laughs) and our listeners who will hopefully be leaving us coherent, positive, or even you know if if it just makes sense in your review if it's a low star ranking that's, yes. that's all and also listen to the podcast listen to the podcast you review it. all four and a half hours of it <laughs> um zach do you have any other closing thoughts thank you for going on this journey with me uh love you listeners love you brother i love you too and i love you listeners um which radiohead song would you like me to take us out on um let's go ahead and go with uh anyone can play guitar please my favorite radiohead song okay. of all time All right, listeners, this is Anyone Can Play Guitar by Radiohead. Thanks for listening. It's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up.
never fails. <laughs> Every time Zach hears the opening notes of something I say is radio at the end, it's the grimace on his face. It's really sad. Did I genuinely get you again? I, or were you playing I, along I, to be I, nice? I was not playing along, I promise. Bullshit! All right, listeners. I think I like MD's Yak. Better than Kitty! All right, bye. All right, listeners. Love you. Bye. Idiotalk is a Glenn Brothers production. Get in touch with us at idiotalk.podcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at idiotalk.podcast. And thanks for listening to Idiotalk.